My guest today is a powerhouse in the gold industry, but he's a name that you've probably never heard. Like many of the best investors in the world, he doesn't do media, but he did this today as a personal favor to me. He keeps an office at Canaccord Genuity, and today we talk macro and we talk gold, and I found this conversation fascinating. I know you're going to enjoy it. Here's Cam Curry. Cam. Jay, good to see you, man. Good to see you. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having me. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. I appreciate it. Well, we've had a couple, a number of phone calls in the past. and uh, Trying to set this up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I know you don't do media, so mm. I really appreciate you spending some time with me today. This is a real treat mm. because a lot of the people I have on the show, they're names that you know retail investors know because right. they're always in front of a camera. But some of the biggest forces in the gold sector you know, they're focused on their portfolios and building wealth for their clients, mm. and that's what you do. Mm -hmm. So first of all, thank you for taking the time. Mm. I really, really appreciate this. My pleasure. So there's a handful of directions I wanna to go today. We're obviously gonna talk about the gold sector. Mm -hmm. um, you're very influential in that market mm -hmm. and have generated tons of wealth in that market. But I wanna start with some macro, macro factors and forces that you're paying attention to and some major geopolitical, what I would call tectonic shifts. Yeah and how the geopolitical chessboard is being reshaped right now. Hmm. And it's like a rebalancing of power occurring, mm -hmm. uh, a trend away from the US dollar, mm -hmm. a trend towards gold, mm -hmm. um, and new alliances forming that I think we don't fully understand, but will have ripple effects mm -hmm. for foreseeably the next decade. Mm -hmm. So on that chessboard, mm -hmm. you know, what's catching your attention, Cam? Well, it's interesting, you just summed up uh, a lot of my thesis. Okay. And uh, again, the macro trend that's unfolding in the world is something that, in a lot of ways, the Western world really isn't um, really paying attention to. Mm. And I call it the autocracies versus democracies. And, okay. You know, you'll hear Biden talk about that uh, most recently in some of his speeches. But, <clears throat> you know, the alignment that China's making around the world has been going on for a number of years. And there's been some very brazened moves that people haven't paid attention to. Mm. Uh, for example, three years ago, they did a deal with Iran. In exchange for cheaper oil, they were doing foreign investment and military investment. Right. And so, for example, the drones coming into Russia right now are from uh, Iran. So and investing in the infrastructure and the military in exchange for cheaper oil. Cheaper oil, exactly. Right. And so they've been making all these moves. Another move, when U.S. pulls out of Afghanistan, mm -hmm. two days later, yeah. we moved in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then the famous one most recently is when Biden went to Saudi Arabia and, you know, he was trying to get oil prices down, goes in there and um, MBS, you know, pulls the, uh, the hand from the fist pump. Yeah. And stops uh, him. stops him. And uh, two weeks later, the uh, oil prices, uh, oil, OPEC uh, cut production by two million barrels. Yes. Now, the Democrats in the States made an uproar saying we should stop you know, supporting military mm -hmm. um, um, bases in that Saudi Arabia because they're no longer partners of ours. Yeah. And so there was an upheaval for a short period of time in the media. Mm -hmm. But what the media also didn't pick up on is right after Biden left, who arrives? Yeah. President Xi. Yeah. On the tarmac, the jets fly by, and the mm -hmm. jets have the Chinese smoke. That's right. There was a yeah. massive showing, wasn't yeah. there? Yeah. yeah. And so you look at this alignment that's taking place. Mm. And so this alignment is political, but it's <clears throat> economic. And so another example is uh, India, for example. India is importing 33 times more oil out of Russia than they ever did. Okay. So despite the sanctions, look at India's alignment here. They're, they're yeah. accepting the oil coming in from Russia. So the autocracies of the world have a different alignment than the Western world. Mm -hmm. And it's economic, and a lot of people in North America just aren't paying attention to it. Mm. And it's, it's financial as well, and that's where we're going back to the, the precious metals. You know, we're seeing a, a 
migration out of the U.S. dollar. Yeah. And what, where the migration is going to is into precious metals. And central banks around the world keep on increasing um, 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 their gold reserves. In fact, the World Gold Council came up with data yesterday. We have record um, purchases. Mm -hmm. And that continues. And yet in the, in the West, the gold ETFs, every day there's two tons sold, five tons sold because they aren't seeing the relevance of gold as an asset class right now. Right. Whereas central banks are divesting themselves of US dollars and going into one of the top three reserve currencies in the world, which is precious metals. Yeah. See, again, most people don't know that, but mm. US dollars, euros, and gold are the three reserve currencies of the world. But they don't look at it that way. No. Okay, so two questions spun out of that. What's driving the flight from US dollars? And then my second question would be, you know, why is gold understood differently in those Eastern autocratic countries mm. versus how we look at it in the West? Mm. And I'm led to think it's stability, right? When your life is stable and predictable, mm -hmm. you don't feel a drive towards that asset with zero counterparty risk, mm -hmm. the boring safe haven, whatever you want to call it. It does its job very well. Mm -hmm. It's durable. But if life's good and predictable, you don't really crave durability, mm -hmm. right? Whereas if your life's life is unpredictable and inst instable, mm -hmm. it makes a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. So first question, what's driving, in your view, the flight out of US dollars for these nations? Well, the first one everyone knows about is weaponization of the US dollar. Okay. And, and you know, that's, that speaks for itself. So if you're one of these countries that is, is running the risk of having sanctions against them or, or sanctions against their US dollar reserves, mm. they're looking, okay, we better you know, diversify out of that. So that's one of the driving forces. And that's maybe in response to the confiscation of Russian USD reserves? Right, yeah. right, yeah. yeah. And you know, the risk, like I said, India just came out that they're in increasing, they increased the oil imports three, 33 times. Right. So what will the US do to react to that? I'm curious. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, mm -hmm. I don't know. But again, going back to stability and gold as an asset class, the Western world doesn't look at it that way. We, did, we have in the past, during times of uncertainty. Mm. And, uh, but if you go to places like India, for example, their lack of trust in the banking system and the government, yeah. they wear gold as their, as, their, as their ownership, as their asset. Yeah. You go to the Middle East, same thing. You know, when you talk to people at the World Gold Council, these countries hold gold in a very different status mm -hmm. than the Western world. Yeah. You know that, that uh, analogy, hard times make hard men, hard men make easy times, mm -hmm. easy times make soft men, soft men make hard times. Mm. You know, you could think about it differently, hard times make intelligent men or intelligent people, right? Mm -hmm. And if life's a bit harder, as it's been in a lot of the countries you just referenced, you take more responsibility for your life, right? Mm -hmm. You take more personal sovereignty. Mm -hmm. And I think gold fits into that, right? Whereas mm -hmm. in the West, we're more likely to trust an ETF or trust a third-party money manager that we don't know that well, mm -hmm. that we don't have a personal relationship with. And we take our hands off the wheel a little bit when it comes to wealth management. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that? What do you think? I, I agree, but I think it goes f a little further than that. Um, I've given numerous speeches on one of my themes called narrative economics. Okay. And nowadays, especially now with social media and, and the herd mentality of yeah. you know, following influencers, whatever you want. I mean, we're... I hate to say it, but we've turned in instant gratification junkies. 100%. And we chase the trends. Yeah. And no better example than that was 2021 when we saw the stupidity of the stock market. Okay. You know, you look at the stocks go to, like Peloton go to $165 a share. Yeah. You know, a market cap of $300 billion. Right. I think it just bottom eight dollars a share this Exercise past month, bikes. right? Yeah. And so, exactly, <laughs> a bike with a screen on it, right? Yeah. And so, but, so, 
in, t- in today's world, people are chasing what's hot. Yeah. And, and that's, we're just getting programmed that way because you, we have our phones on us and you're bombarded with, with, with instant gratification on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So I think that is having a huge impact on people's uh, investing behavior habits. 100%. And so it gives them confidence when they're doing something that everybody else is doing. It doesn't matter what the valuation is. And that's, right? the, that's the... It's the opposite of how you should respond to that. Oh, totally. You're given confidence because you're doing the same thing that everybody else is doing in the market. That's the worst possible outcome, mm-hmm. right? You know, you mentioned a couple of things like, uh, you know, rushing into the excitement of these share prices, right? Mm-hmm. Peloton being a great example. What mm-hmm. about that is exciting other than the share price, mm-hmm. right? Did you look at the underlying asset? It's an exercise bike with a screen on it, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, you referenced it. This is this um, convergence of pop culture and finance, which mm-hmm. is dangerous. You end mm-hmm. up with charlatan CEOs and overnight financial influencers mm-hmm. and FOMO trading, mm-hmm. right? And meme stocks. Yeah, Robin Hoods. Exactly, right? Yeah. And uh, it's not a team sport, mm-hmm. right? There's, there's, it's a competitive sport. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a competitive advantage, what are you doing there? So, mm-hmm. you know, could I ask you, Cam, could you speak to those investors? Because my audience is retail, right? Mm-hmm. They're investors just like I am. They're not pro, they're not full-time investors. They're retail investors looking for the smartest home for their cash. Mm-hmm. And they're watching the trends that we just talked about, maybe participated in them. Probably mm-hmm. not as many on my audience, but definitely some. Mm-hmm. Like how would you counsel them in terms of moving forward with their money management and uh, participation in the markets? Well, <laughs> it's interesting. I can counsel somebody, but they're still so entrenched in what the media is talking about. Yeah. And it goes against human nature to be a contrarian 100%. or to not be where everyone is. Yes. You know, I remember in 21 again, you know, looking at all these, all these IPOs listing. Right, and yep. it was like a countdown to a World Cup soccer match. Right, the countdown on CNBC, mm. and the thing would open up two, three, four from where I IPO'd. Yes, and it would trade five times its float in that particular day, but the day traders and the algos that were all over these things were were exponentializing valuations. Right, and you know, on that note, one of the things that people don't understand either is that. 85% of the volume in the markets now are, are algos and quants. That's huge. 85%. Huge. 85%. 85%. And ETFs have a huge influence on the performance. Okay. And so again, here's an example. When, when um, Peloton, and I'll use it, I'm going back to the same name here. Yeah. Uh, when they went public, they ticked the boxes of 25 different types of ETFs. Okay. 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 So, so each one of those ETFs, yeah. when it went public, had to wait it. Yeah. And so when money flows went into the ETFs, they spray into the underlying assets. Right. Which led to its valuation. Massively went. inflated yeah. valuations. And we saw it in here in Canada with the cannabis. The U.S. investors, the only way they could participate, because it wasn't legal there, was to buy ETFs. Right, of course. Which sprayed into the underlying stocks. And so Tilray went to $260 a share. Mm-hmm. It was one of the major components in these ETFs. Mm-hmm. Now it trades at $4 a share. Yeah. It had nothing to do with value. Right. So... When I speak to investors, I try to educate them about this because everyone thinks, okay, well, it must be a great company because the stock's going up. And, you know, I, a friend of mine bought Zoom at $500 a share. I said, what are you doing? Well, I use it. I said, mm-hmm. yeah, but have you ever looked at the fundamentals of it? Yeah. And now it's, what, 50 bucks or 60 bucks, whatever right. it is. Right. So speaking to them is one thing, but I think the problem is, is that people are just so influenced by trends, they don't take the time to actually look at the fundamentals. Of course. And, you know, they don't have the expertise either. I mean, that's why they go and they buy the ETFs, so they go to financial advisors. But 
a lot of these investors now are just using ETFs, and ETFs are not the approach you should take. And, you know, so th there's probably, there's a, there's a place for ETFs, and mm -hmm. there's a place for Robinhood, and yeah. these uh, systems that have removed any barriers to entry to the market, mm -hmm. made it very accessible, which mm -hmm. is positive. The downside is that it almost looks easy at first glance. Mm -hmm. When you have to think about the markets like anything else in life, like what's easy on day one? Mm -hmm. Almost nothing, right? Mm -hmm. You gotta get the reps in, whatever that is you're trying to become an expert at, right? Mm -hmm. And I would, I would liken it to like, I'm a martial artist, I think about martial arts. Like, it's very humbling during the first year. Mm -hmm. Second year, you get a bit better. But mm -hmm. it's all about compounding that expertise and experience mm -hmm. over a lifetime, mm -hmm. right? And we need to think about our portfolios the same way. It's a long, patient game. Mm -hmm. But somewhere along the way recently, it's been sold as a get-rich-quick scheme. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that usually plays out as a go-broke-fast scheme. Mm -hmm. And then you realize, oh, it's a get-rich-slow scheme. And mm -hmm. that's maybe where we should land here. Um, I know a lot of people, Cam, are expecting the Fed to pause rates, mm -hmm. maybe pivot. Probably they're expecting this to occur faster than it will. And when that happens, it'll be game on again in all the names that we just discussed, these mm -hmm. speculative growth stocks. What would you say to those individuals? <clears throat> that's, a, that's a multifaceted question. Okay. Um, again, you have to look at what led to the stock market values of what happened in 21. Mm -hmm. and, um, what people have to look back on is that we had interest rates at zero for 10 years. Yes, we had very glo important. global queuing of $30 trillion. Yes. You have global debt over $300 trillion. So money was free and interest rates were zero. And mm. In some places, the German Bundes was a negative yield, Japan was a negative yield. Mm -hmm. So you could borrow a negative yield and then take that money and invest. Right. So this free money created investment, bad investment habits. And yep. it, it, oh, it skewed models and P multiples and rationalization of buying some of these companies. And we saw in England when they had the pension fund problems, remember they, they, uh, they lowered the tax rate yeah. and uh, they had uh, a solvency issue with some of their pension funds. Mm -hmm. What people don't realize, I'll give you an example, pension funds need a seven and three quarter percent annualized rate of return to meet future obligations. Okay. Okay, if interest rates were at zero, they had to take risk in order to get to those returns. Yes. So what they were doing, they were leveraging themselves off of free money mm -hmm. and buying assets. Yes. And so, but when interest rates went up and the asset prices went down, mm. it flipped them. Yep. And that's where the solvency issue was. Right. So we have assets, and I, 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 one of my themes is that we have an asset bubble that's still in the process of unwinding. I mean, it's, you had free money and yep. you had zero interest rates and created bad, bad behaviors. So today we're debating the question, are we going to recession or are we not? Yeah. And you know, now they're saying there's a 10% probability of a mild recession. Okay. Okay, and IMF, today, IMF just came out today and said they increased their global growth expectations. Hmm. But all the indicators we're looking at is we're starting to see increases in unemployment. We're seeing that in the tech land. You're, lo you're looking at purchasing managers index uh, declining, consumer confidence declining. All the indications are that we're just slipping into recession now. Lean mm -hmm. economic indicators are, are, are suggesting that too. So what I'm saying is that we, because of free money and all the stimulus and that, it takes a while for that to work through the system. Of course. Now they're no longer QEing, they're QTing. Mm. So M2 money supply is dropped yes. significantly. Mm -hmm. So you're pulling out the punch that created these asset prices. Mm -hmm. And we haven't really started seeing it, like for example, in real estate. We're starting to feel it a little bit, but the reality hasn't set in. Mm. So 
you know, what we're saying to clients right now is you've got to take a protective position right now. Be careful of buying these dips because these are just bear market rallies. Right. Okay. Okay, so I just hosted a two-day investment conference. I heard it was very well attended too. It was super fun. Yeah. yeah, we had amazing attendance. The content was exceptional. Great talent on stage. Mm -hmm. If there was one theme that the smartest investors we had at the podium were sharing, it was that now is the time to be playing defense, mm -hmm. right? Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Okay. Now, where do you start, right? Where do you start playing defense? Well, there's different ways. I mean. You know, first of all, for ultra-conservative people, now they can get a rate of return by buying treasuries, right? right? Whereas a year ago, you had no returns. Mm. I'm not a treasury person. Okay. What I do is I take a portion of someone's um, portfolio and I invest it in, in the metals and mining space. Yes. And to me, that's a very defensive strategy. Mm. And, and um, for two reasons. One, supply issues. I mean, okay. people have no idea about the supply side issues coming in terms of base metals and precious metals. Talk to me about this a little bit. Well, on the copper side, um, two weeks ago, uh, copper inventories are at 1.8 days, right? 1.8 days. days, yeah. Inventory. Inventories. Right. Because, <laughs> and a lot of it has to do with the fact that a lot of capital flew into all these other sectors and, and, the, and, the, and the resource markets didn't, didn't get capitalized. I just want to clarify, this means the available inventory will last about 1.8 1 1 .8 days, days yes. worth of demand. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. 1.8. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Okay. And so when China opened up, when they did that pivot on the, on, on the COVID policy, mm. you saw all the copper stocks go off. Yes. Right? And, you know, they, and copper now is at four and a quarter, is at three and a quarter. Mm -hmm. Because all of a sudden, now they open up and copper demand picks up into China where it had been idle for a long period of time. Sure. And so our copper stocks were up 50% in, what, two months? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so defensive, buying hard assets in the world, I think, is a very defensive strategy. Okay. Copper, you know, the electrification is obviously one. Supply side is a huge problem because there's no big deposits coming down the pipeline. No. So copper is a very different story. Copper is based on the economics. I think copper prices are going to moderate here because I, I do see a recession. I, okay. I can't see how we're going to avoid a recession. And if we don't, yeah. then we're going to have a greater inflation problem. And that's where the Fed stuck. Right? Interesting. So, yeah. so that's copper. And then just to, just to one more question on copper, mm -hmm. just because we're there. Yeah. You know, bigger picture, macro, longer term, mm -hmm. you know, we hit a recession. That's going to dry up some immediate infrastructure demand, mm -hmm. slow down the, maybe the EV trend and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But backing up, taking a global outlook, like we still have a billion people in the world that don't have any electricity, Absolutely. let alone the, you know, the type that we're trying to transition to, and another two billion that only have intermittent access. Mm -hmm. So you know, in the West, we think about copper in terms of Tesla demand, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's a much bigger picture than that. So longer term, you know, immediate recession, that's gonna dampen expectations, but like bigger picture, what's your, what's your, uh, your, your Extremely expectation? Bullish. Extremely bullish. And, and yeah. when I say, you know, I'm neutral a bit right now. I yeah. do, I do think we're going to have a recession mm. by mid this year, mm -hmm. and so I think that, as I say, copper is a PhD in economics, and so you know, copper declining will, will uh, be a result of, of of global slowdown. I love that. Okay. And so, but this will be the last dip, in my view, of, mm. in terms of buying, because there's no new copper projects coming on the pipeline. And to get None. a new copper project to production is like oh. two decades and many billions of dollars. Well, I was down in Arizona. Um, last year, looking okay. at a copper project. Across the valley was an old BHP project they shut in in 2002. Okay. That project still has an 800 million ton, 0.8% .8 
copper block cave resource. Okay. Okay, they, which will be mined eventually. Eventually. They haven't even started uh, reclaiming that. They did the reclamation in 2002 when copper was 65 cents. But because of the policy, hmm. the, the Biden administration's policy about copper mining, which they don't want to want to do in the United States. It's the NIMBY mentality. Yeah. Yeah. So BHP is not putting any effort towards that because there's no political will. Mm. So here again, this goes back to the powers that be. Mm -hmm. That's going on. Meanwhile, if you look at the ball mills that have been ordered in the last year and a half prior to the war, all the ball mills ahead of First Quantums were all Russian companies. These are ball mills for mining, uh, for, for the, uh, the mines for the copper assets in Russia. Okay. Okay. We all know what China is doing. China is basically colonizing the world, going into Africa, Middle East, uh, Middle East, uh, South America, because they're controlling the resources. Yeah. Okay. Whereas, yeah. Investing in infrastructure, investing in the military in exchange yeah, for access. Yeah, ab to the absolutely. Resources. But also, yeah. like you look at DRC. Look at how much money they have invested there. Absolutely. The yeah. farmlands they yeah. own in, in Africa. Mm. Uh, they're getting very active in South America now. Mm -hmm. And yet, in the United States, they won't even open up a copper mine because of this green movement. Right. Yeah. And so, so who's going to mm. control the copper markets? Yeah, right? those that will act now. Yeah. Right. And so that's one of the things that's taking place. That, and so the copper side, I mean, I mean, <laughs> the supply is a huge problem going forward. Mm. And scarcity is going to be a big, big problem. And so we're very, very bullish on copper. Um, and another thing, too, about it, copper is you, you look at the jurisdictions you have to go to to uh, get your assets now. Right. I mean, you can go to I mean, look at the problems they had in Chile recently. Right? And all, yeah. of a sudden, yeah. you know, all of a sudden, the government changes the tax regimes. Right. So it, it makes it even more difficult mm. to explore and find these deposits. Mm -hmm. so, mm. and, but on the gold side, I mean, the, um, the gold is, gold has to be a part of your portfolio. Okay. And people have forgotten about that. Yep. You know, when, I remember when I was a kid growing up, and back then it was like you had the 60 40 rule 60% bonds, 40% stocks. Yeah. But back then it was like 50 30 or whatever, and 10% uh, gold. Yeah, okay. Because that's when people talked about gold as an asset class. Yeah. And, you know, of course, we went after the gold standard in 73, and people have forgotten about gold. And gold no longer is, is, a, is an asset class that's recognized because it's more of a, um, a um, if you don't believe in America, you don't own gold. You, 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 if you don't believe in America, you own gold. So, therefore, yeah, it's unpatriotic okay. to own gold. I can see that. Right? Yeah, which is silly, but I get it. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Whereas, if you go to other parts of the world, Gold is a major asset, a major ownership. Yeah. Because they've gone through currencies, they've gone through turmoil. Yeah. I mean, just recently, last year, and I think one of the things that was very disheartening for gold investors was the poor performance in gold. I mean, sure. we had a war, we had inflation, yeah. we had economic slowdown and recession in the United States, and yeah. gold went down. Yeah. And what people have to understand is gold went down because the U.S. dollar the Dixie went up by 25%, exponentialized. Yes, it was a dollar story, not a gold story. Exactly, yeah. but what's interesting, gold went up in every other currency. Yeah. And here's the thing, okay, if you're in Turkey, for example, mm. and you had your debt denominated in US dollars, mm -hmm. think of the pain you went through when the dollar went exponential like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. But yeah. if you own gold in Turkey. You made money. You made money. Yeah. So in their minds, they mm. saw the, val the value of having gold, mm -hmm. and they saw the problems of having US dollars. Mm -hmm. So now, as the dollar is weakening, they're recognizing this is an opportunity. So now mm. been, there's been that movement. And this is part of the movement that the East is doing, that the West is not really paying attention to. Right. Now there's been, yeah, massive um, gold purchases by central banks. Mm -hmm. They're buying physical, mm -hmm. right? Massive repatriation mm -hmm. of physical. 
increased allocation for institutions all across the board. Um, Sorry, what do you mean by that? I mean that when I look at uh, money managers, like well, mainstream money managers like Ray Dalio, mm -hmm. you know, in, uh, now endorsing increased exposure to gold, something right. that I haven't seen in my investment career. Right. Right. And um, but it falls upon deaf ears, though. You know, it he's, seems he's to. made the comment: if you don't own gold, you don't know the history of fiat currency, right? Yeah. And he's talked about that many, many times, and yet he never gets any any narrative time, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Again, going back to my narrative economics, right? You know, I, what I say to people is like, the gold sector right now, or the gold market right now, is like being at BC Place, a, a stadium of 60,000 people, and there's five people in the nosebleed section trying to put their arms up, trying to get the wave going. Right. That's the gold market of today in the Western world. Right, yeah. No one's paying attention to it. And if you own it, you probably own a paper contract of some kind. Yeah, or physical, right. or stocks, whatever. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. We had some conversations on stage at the show about, you know, given the paper markets, how many beneficiary owners would you expect for every ounce of gold? And nobody could really come up with an answer. 300 to one is one of the things I've heard. I mean, 300. the paper yeah. contracts are huge, right? Yeah. But again, I mean, that's an unknown as to mm -hmm. what can happen there. Yeah. Um, but the physical market though, and as we know, we're, we're seeing the, the banks continue to, to do what they're doing. Mm -hmm. But behind the scenes, there's a lot of stuff happening in the precious metal market that people aren't aware of. Okay. Um, for example, Mercer, who's an advisor to $15 trillion of global assets, yes. effective January 1st of 2022, did a charter change on their allocation. So they went from a 60-40 bond equity recommended allocation, and I forget what they altered in their bonds equities, but they went to a 5% recommended weighting in precious metals. Right. Because of bond risk and because of equity risk. Yes. Okay. Huh. So, Fast forward to today, bonds are down 15%, mm -hmm. equities are down 25, a lot more in, in some categories. Yeah. And gold at 1940 is actually up. Yeah. So it served its purpose. Right. But there's no recognition of gold's performance. Mm. And I think part of it is, is because you know, the gold investors last year got so disappointed mm -hmm. and frustrated that you know, no one's really talking about it because they got hit so hard. But the reality is, gold's higher than it was last year. Mm -hmm. Now, how many asset classes in the world are higher now than they were last year? Right, right. Not many. Yeah. So Mercer came out and, and advised on that. What's interesting is that the average fund in the United States has one quarter of 1% in precious metals. Okay, one quarter of 1%. 1%. And Mercer yeah. is advising a 5% weighting. Yeah, okay. right. Another thing, which is an, another uh, situation, is uh, the uh, Swiss pension fund came out uh, last week. Mm -hmm. And they came out and they just announced they've added gold positions. Again, because of bonds underperformance yep. and stock underperformance. So they're recommending gold. And this is the Swiss pension fund. Mm -hmm. Now, the Swiss vaults, the Bank of England vaults, and the Singapore vaults are the three biggest gold vaults in the world. And here's the Swiss pension fund increasing gold weighting. Right. Because right. they're seeing something. Okay, so, so I own physical for the defensive purposes mm -hmm. that you outlined. Right. I like having an option outside of the system that retains its purchasing power through the rise and fall of market cycles, mm -hmm. generations, and empires, mm -hmm. right? And that gives me the confidence. You better, that's, you better live about 200 years then. <laughs> <laughs> I plan on it. <laughs> and that's, that gives me the confidence. You know what it does for me? It gives me peace of mind. Mm -hmm. That's what the utility of physical is to me. It's the option on liquidity, should I ever need it, mm -hmm. right? It's there for me. I hope I don't. Mm -hmm. I hope to leave it to my kids, to be honest. That's mm -hmm. my intention with my physical gold. Mm -hmm. But having it there, knowing that I have an option on liquidity, 
should I get compromised over here, allows me to sleep a lot better at mm -hmm. night. And that's the defensive play in my portfolio. Now, you just talked about the Swiss pension fund. We've talked about central banks. Mm -hmm. You mentioned Mercer, who mm -hmm. advises 15 trillion mm -hmm. in AUM, advising a 5% weighting in gold. Mm -hmm. That's a collective tsunami of capital mm -hmm. moving towards a very small asset class mm -hmm. relative to you know the real estate market or so many other markets. Mm -hmm. So therefore, there's gonna be some offensive plays, right? There's gonna mm -hmm. be potential for big upside. Do you have any advice or how would you walk an investor through accessing the gold market? Not, we're moving away from physical now. Mm -hmm. We're looking at the equities. Okay. What do you have to say, Cam? Okay, um, first of all, going back to gold as an asset class, is a bigger asset class. It trades $150 billion a day. Okay. A lot of people aren't aware that it's actually, it's a very active reserve currency. Right, and yeah. incredibly liquid. Yeah, incredibly liquid, so it is. Um, but <laughs> we talk about that asset and how big it is. And now you talk about the equities. Right. The miners, yes. the explorers. Yes. And this is what's shocking that most people, when I say this to people, the market cap of the entire gold industry globally, of all the equities, is it comparable to the market cap of Home Depot, one company. That's bananas. Yeah, yeah. one company. Yeah. And so you have a, a sector that is tiny in terms of market cap. Yeah. And it's never been in better financial shape. I mean, gold. That's right. Gold's at nineteen hundred, nineteen fifty. All sustaining costs between a thousand and twelve hundred dollars, depending, even with these inflationary pressures. And a lot of these companies' balance sheets have never been this good. And they're buying back the stocks. Uh, a number of my senior companies pay me three, four percent dividend yields. Right. And they're in such good financial shape, and they're so undervalued because mm -hmm. no one's paying attention. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. if if you look at Mercer recommending a five percent weighting in precious metals. And that's on 15 trillion. And you got pension funds. Yeah. We know that what Eastern banks are buy, buyers of gold. <clears throat> At some point here, the equity sector has to get the attention. Right. And the narrative has to come to it. Mm. And so when that happens, when you're dealing with a market cap that small, you know, all we, if you go from a quarter percent weighting to a 1% weighting. Right, right, right. And pension funds have to perform. And last year, pension funds had poor performance. Right. Okay in equities and, and, and in bonds. And so as gold, and like I said, gold has been the best performing asset class, the best performing equity class since September 26 is the gold equities. Since September 26, yes. 2022. Yeah. yeah. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Most people don't know that. Yeah. yeah. So, so how do you position? How, do you, how would you suggest getting positioned in well, the gold equities market? Well, it depends on the investor. I A whole mean, bunch of stuff. Yeah. Conservative investors, you know, risk investors. You know, like, like I said, I manage a portion of someone's portfolio. I don't do the wealth manager of their bonds and stocks. Mm -hmm. You know, I manage five to 10% of their wealth okay. in precious metals. Yes. And I don't buy physicals because physical gold is a performance, but if gold goes from 1700 to 1900, that's a 10% return. Right. But that's a $200 price difference in, in gold. If you're a gold miner, that's $200 right to the bottom line. Yeah. So if, you're, if, you, if you had a $500 mar, um, 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 uh, profitability per ounce, mm -hmm. you go to 700, mm -hmm. it's a 40% increase. Yeah. So a 10% move in the gold price, the ratio we use is about three to one. Mm -hmm. So my attitude on this is if you're gonna be seeking exposure, the equities are very liquid and you can be buying these gold companies that are leveraged to the gold price and they're in very good financial shape. So there's mm -hmm. the seniors, intermediates. Um, my specialty is the developers because one thing about the gold industry as a mining company, you have to acquire assets to grow, mm -hmm. or you have to acquire assets to survive. 
because they're right. depleting assets. Yeah. And because there was a lack of exploration for many, many years, there's very few assets out there. Mm. So as the boardrooms recognize this gold price is here and staying here, they're going to be looking for ways of deploying their significant cash positions they're building on. They're going to buy assets to grow. And they're going to have to. They're going to have to. And companies like Barrick, I think, just missed guidance a second time. Mm -hmm. And I believe production's at a 22-year low. Mm -hmm. So talk to me, and we talked about the supply side of the copper sector. Yeah. You know, what strikes you as interesting on the supply side of the gold sector? What's got to happen there? Well, we've seen peak gold production. We know that. We've seen peak yeah. gold production. Yeah. Okay. And you look at Newmont and Barrick, I may not be right in the full numbers here, but on average, 5 million ounce production each year okay. for the next 10 years. 5 million no ounces growth. each year for the there's next no 10 growth, years. There's no growth, right? Okay. And so it's only a matter of time until as these companies, like Barrick's buying back their stock, okay? Mm -hmm. With these margins, they're making a lot of money. Sure. When, when, the, when the recognition that gold is an asset class you have to own starts moving gold in, uh, in higher up in price, the board members and the boards are going to be pushed to, for growth. The shareholders will demand it. Yeah. So what are they going to do? M&A. Yeah, they have to. Yeah. Because, you know, again, a lot of people don't know this, but from first drill hole to first ounce, on average, it's 18 years. Right. Because yeah. you may discover something, but then go into a bear market, now you can't raise money. Mm -hmm. Or there could be a geopolitical situation. I mean, there's so many uh, ebbs and flows in business cycles that a lot of times these, these deposits don't get mined till third, third uh, cycle. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so again, it's, it's not like you can just say, I, we need some assets, we're gonna go buy an asset, put it into production in two years. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Right. Now, I like to play in the early stage stuff. Mm -hmm. I like mm -hmm. to speculate, right? And mm -hmm. I, I just, I wanna emphasize, I like to speculate because my stable side of the barbell is buffed out, right? Mm -hmm. And so I feel like what I play with, I can afford to lose, but I like to play at the high risk end mm -hmm. of, the, of the spectrum. What, uh, could you share any, any low hanging fruit um, tips mm -hmm. for investors who are looking to qualify development stories? Where should they look? Is it jurisdiction? Is it asset size? Is it management? Like how would you direct or suggest people begin to? Well, my first, and I'm not trying to um, direct people to myself, but the reality is you can't do it yourself. You need somebody who actually knows what they're doing. Yeah. Because if you've got geopolitical risks, jurisdictional risks, um, there's so many variables yeah. that you have to look at when you look at a project. Mm. And, uh, you know, I've been 99% right, 1% wrong, and lost a lot of money because of, of something I missed in terms of, mm. in the past, you learn from your mistakes. Yes. So there's some jurisdictions in the world I just won't go to. Okay. Um, and you learn through experience. You've yeah. got the, the battle scars. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, and again, I've traveled all over the world. I've been in many, many countries. I go to a lot of projects. Mm -hmm. And you have to understand what's below the ground, but you also have to understand what's above the ground. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people lose, lose track mm -hmm. of that. And as yeah. I say that though, I'm in some jurisdictions right now that have some jurisdictional risk, but they're manageable risks. And the, and the okay. rewards, yep. the rewards are worth the risk. And the equity may be priced at a discount as a consequence yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Well, right. I think one of the things that people misunderstand about risk is that, you know, everyone thinks North American assets, you know, it's North American, it's not risky. Yeah. But try to get things permanent. Right. Try to get things built on time, on schedule. Good luck. Right, good yeah. luck, exactly. Mm -hmm. Whereas you go to West Africa, on time, on budget. Now mm -hmm. you're dealing with the noise of the risks. And there's, you know, there is risk in some countries, there's no question about it. Yeah. Go to South America, same thing. 
You go to Colombia. Mm. You go to uh, Panama. You go to, I mean, Panama just recently, you know, made a step against Cobra, uh, first Quantum's asset. So, yeah. and that was a left field move. Yeah. So there's always these type of risks. So my advice to people is, if you're going to be investing in these assets and these companies, you need somebody who understands those risks, yeah. who can assess them. And you also want to have a diversified portfolio. Yeah. Because, you know, you can't just be in one or two situations. You want a basket of companies. Agreed. So, Typically, my portfolios are about my, my senior companies, my mid-tiers, and the developers. Yes. I don't really play in the junior exploration, mm -hmm. you know, grassroots drill hole companies because mm -hmm. that's a needle in a haystack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd rather wait and wait for something to present itself mm -hmm. and then do a deep dive. Mm -hmm. See, my advantage is I've got a whole Canaccord mining team, and we have one of the top mining teams in the country. That's right. And we're in the country, which is the number one country for mining in the world. Mm -hmm. So we have the expertise and the relationships. So when something's happening, people come to us. That's right. And so I've got this great relationship, not only with my, my Canaccord partners, but with all my mining executives that I do business with. Yeah. So I'm plugged in. I'm like an octopus with all these tentacles. Yeah. And so yeah, I, yeah. I've got intel on things, right, to understand. Well, it gets back to that, that uh, concept of competitive advantage mm -hmm. in, in the market, right? right? Like if I'm moving into any position and I can't identify what my competitive advantage is, then what am I doing, mm -hmm. right? Because it's a competitive game. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and you need, you know, we at this show the last two days, it was fascinating. I want to share this with you, Cam, how many very, very young investors showed up at a precious metals investment conference. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were two days in Vancouver, British Columbia, we had about 6,000 investors show up. I've never seen so many youthful faces. Mm, I mean, and as young as like 17 and 18, many times over. Mm. And they're asking great questions, usually how do I get started, mm -hmm. right? And, um, and it's a big question, like how do you answer that, right? Yeah. I say, you, you gotta start finding personalities that you trust. You can only figure that out by finding many of them and then over time validating, but like step one is be patient, mm -hmm. right? Take mm -hmm. your time and enter slowly, but mm -hmm. you gotta find people you can trust and people that can help counsel you and advise mm -hmm. you like, how are you supposed to compete with the resources that you have access to as mm -hmm. a single investor who works in nine to five and is looking for a smart home for their cash after hours, and, right? And, and that's a typical one because a lot of times if they're just starting out, they have a small amount of money. That's right. And so how do you spread that out amongst a number of companies? Yes. Right? And how do you differentiate what's good and bad, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, going it alone, but that's, you know, people think they can go it alone. They can just go on to, you know, Kitco or new services and see a, this company that's promising the moon and I'll just do that, right? Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of promotes out there that are materializing to nothing. Yeah. But, uh, you know, what's nice to hear is you, there's some, you know, in Canada in the past, Canadians invested in mining. Right? Yeah. And because we live inside the United States, so much money got funneled into crypto, digital, um, all, these, all these new disruptive companies and that. And so yeah. they left our sector. Yeah. And that's one reason why there's such a vacuum of opportunity because mm. people haven't been looking at the sector for a while. Yeah. You know, again, I'm very close to the industry. So I know, for example, one of our corporates whose head office is in, in London, mm. they came through and saw me last week. And uh, they're the only FTSE 100 listed gold company, so I'll give you a clue who it is. Mm. And um, they now have intel, in, in, inbound calls from generous funds in the United States and out of Europe for the first time. Okay. And so they're hmm. starting to look. They're recognizing the sector has to be something they have to take, uh, pay attention to. Yeah. So hmm. that type of intel is starting to happen here. So people sense something's going on, 
but it hasn't become a critical mass, you know, the Gladwell's tipping point where people, you know, all of a sudden it becomes a trend and then someone jumps on it. Yes. So people are, are thinking something's different. Case in point, the young people come to your conference. Yeah. And they sense it, right? Yes. But they don't know where to start mm. and they're just starting. And yet gold's in 1950, it's the best performing asset class. The stocks have not reacted fully to that price. And so that, that's a huge opportunity. Yeah. And just to touch on, you know, where I think we're going with this, and I'm not sure if you've talked to the World Gold Council recently about what their initiative is. But um, it's amazing, most people don't know this, but they've been working, um, and uh, I mean, Randy Smallwood, who's chair of the World Gold Council, who yeah. steps down in September, um, their initiative, and their, you know, I don't want to steal his thunder here because I think he's- Steal it. <laughs> well, you know, and Randy's and, and his team, the World Gold Council is doing a great job. Yeah. They're elevating the recognition uh, of, of the gold sector. Yeah. But what's going to be the tipping point, is, and a lot of people don't know this, but they've been working with the World, uh, with the World Gold Council and LBMA, and because you have to have 100% authenticity of gold source, so you know it's not counterfeit gold. Okay, that's the first step. Yeah, you have to get all the bullion banks inside. Yes, which is the second step. Okay, and so they are very close, and their pilot tests are underway right now to launching a gold-backed crypto. Right, I have heard whispers of this. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. it's not. A, it's. I mean, it's no longer just in its incubacy. It, it's actually. Be, it should become a reality sometime this year. Mm -hmm. So, going back to your young audience or young investor. Mm -hmm. You know, the, you know, everyone chase Bitcoin and cryptos and all these other, you know, you know, cryptocurrencies and that. Yeah. And you know, there's the argument, you know, two years ago, I want to get into the debate about Bitcoin versus gold because, right. You know, that's, you know, that to me is obvious. Bitcoin didn't protect against inflation. It didn't protect against um, um, uh, economic downturn. Mm -hmm. It just correlated with the Nasdaq, in my view. So is this going to be it's essentially a digitized token supported yes. by an equal weighting in gold yes. or? A Okay. Yeah. Got and it. so, and it'll be a physical. It won't be a paper product. Yeah, that's very so, important. So, so it, it eliminates. It's not going to allow the three hundred to one leverage of paper against physical. Yeah. So for the for the mm. new age investor mm -hmm. who's looking for digital or looking for new investment um, mediums, mm -hmm. you can buy Bitcoin. But what's the backing of Bitcoin? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Jamie Dimon at Davos this past year basically called it out once again as, you know. Around but way are a bit of a fraud in mm -hmm. his view. Now, I, I'm not going to go in that debate, but because yeah. I mean it's, it's obviously serving its purpose. That's why we're, it is where it is. But if you had a cryptocurrency that had a backing of a physical asset, and you could verify it via blockchain tech, yeah, yeah. I mean, would that be attractive? Of course, it would be. And so it's going to open up a whole new universe. Yeah. And what's interesting too is that the the banks in the states, the J.P. Morgan's, Goldman, and that are going to have to embrace the product. Yeah. Right. Market. Should bring more recognition to the sector. Yeah, and it adds validity to that contract, totally. right? which is missing from the paper market right now. It's like totally. 300 beneficiary owners of one gold ounce, nobody actually owns that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And should you ever need to call on that at the same time as 299 other people, you're in some hot water. Well, you know, it's interesting. I've, I've always wondered about that. You know, you go back to the Hunt brothers when they cornered the silver market. Yeah. Silver went to $50 an ounce. It, and it was huge momentum and everyone heard about it and talked about it. Yeah. Well. You kind of wonder at some point here when gold actually does get its footing, mm -hmm. are you going to get some very smart big funds mm -hmm. buying the paper contracts and then go, we want delivery? Yeah, right. Now, where is the delivery coming from? Mm. Right? 
And, and again, going back to where are the gold purchases going right now, they're going to the vaults of the Eastern banks. Yes. And they're going to part with them anytime soon. No. So you start looking at where's the mm -hmm. physical going to come from, there's an event like that. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. So. Cam, I yeah. really appreciate you taking the time to chat with mm. me. Yeah. Well, you're I appreciate it too. It's, uh, you know, quite honestly, I, when you came to me and asked me, I thought, you know what, this is a great opportunity because most people just don't understand it. Everyone thinks gold is one of those relics, you know. And it's or it's something of the past or it's a pet rock, whatever it is. But mm -hmm. it actually, on a global scale, actually serves its purpose. And as, as I say to people right now, if you're looking down the world today with the geopolitical environments and the economic environments that exist, and you had to choose a basket of currencies. Yes. Look what's going on in the United States. Mm -hmm. you know, $32 trillion deficit. You know, the eco economy, I think, is just slipping into recession. Europe, their economic problems. Japan's problems. Canada. Yep. Would gold be a basket? It would be in your basket as a, as a currency base. It would be in mine. It would have to be. Yeah. And so it just it's very simple. But people aren't thinking that way. Not yet. And, and so if you're going to make a lot of money, you want to be where no one is. It's like Wayne Gretzky. You skate to where the puck's going to be. Yeah. It's very yeah. simple. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Look, I, okay, so you've opened the door now to my show. I'm going to... I feel like there's a part two and a part three now of this conversation. Okay. So I'd love to have you back on. I'd love uh, to. I really appreciate you taking the time and doing this for me. Um, massively appreciate it and sharing your experience with my audience. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor. Follow or subscribe to this podcast. Drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.